the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to this KGNW broadcast special, Heart of the City. Pastors, ministry leaders, and churches have received a call to serve their communities with the love and compassion of Christ. The call is from God's heart to the Heart of the City. Well, this is Heart of the City. I'm Chuck Olmstead, the Director of Local Ministry Development for 820 AM The Word. I want to welcome you this morning, and with me is a special guest. His name is Aaron Bauer. He's the lead pastor at Issaquah Christian Church. Welcome today, Aaron. Well, thank you very much, Chuck. Yeah, well, you were on last week with us, and uh, we were having such a good time in our conversation, I thought, I need to hold Aaron over because there's a whole lot more to share uh, of his life. So uh, just to kind of summarize, you grew up in uh, Ferndale, Washington. Yeah, that's correct. And... uh, uh, grew up in a Christian home and uh, kind of really had a, a a revelation about the Lord in your life in your in your late teenage years when you're around 18 years old and right. kind of kind of got serious about your faith. And as you were talking about that, you mentioned that uh, you ended up at uh, Seattle Pacific University. Yeah, that's right. So uh, why why SPU? Well, it was uh, for for the noble reason of making a lot of money. There as, you as have God, it. <laughs> as God started to get into my my life and started to really transform me from the inside out, it it had never really dawned on me that He cared about my career. It was just okay. He's working. Okay, I had these issues with um, sin, and I had these issues with um, a lot of behaviors and 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 all these things. And, and He was really helping me transform and work through a bunch of those things. It was really exciting. And so then, you know, changing the the friends and and that I had, but but there wasn't really a sense of and now I know what to do next. So I looked through the career book like anybody else in, in back in the 90s and, and said, electrical engineering, that sounds great. I'll make some money and, and off we go. And so, so I ended up uh, in, at Seattle Pacific University as a freshman um, planning to study electrical engineering. And, and, uh, and as I was doing that, um, it became apparent that I wasn't that type of person. I was, I was I, yeah, that when you said uh, EE, I'm thinking, <laughs> wow, that's a, you're not, they don't seem to be like an analytical engineering kind of yeah, a guy. <laughs> I, I don't know what I was thinking, other than that it, it seemed like it was fun stuff. And yeah, I could do go. anything, so why wouldn't I try that? Yeah, you know, yeah. So, so um, as, you're, as you're kind of exploring, and that's what the beauty of going to a school becomes is that you can change right. majors, right? Yeah. And uh, that happens to a lot of students. So, uh, so after you decided that isn't what I wanted to do or you should do, uh, where did you— uh, what did you focus on then? Yeah, it took me just about a quarter to figure that out. Okay, it didn't you take know, long. I, huh? No, I was <laughs> I was in some really tough classes and and just swimming in the deep water. Yeah, and, and was, you saw all the brainiacs tough. around you, and you realized <laughs> and they were loving it. Yeah, I'm like, Whoa, what's going on? I'm sweating this. <laughs> this is not going to so, be for me. Yeah, I started talking to some people that that I, um, that had been speaking into my life, and and this new community of people that were really following Jesus. I mean, I found mm-hmm. a great group of people. 
um, that that's, I'm still connected with today that, that loved Jesus and we were going to do community together. And so just started talking to them, listening to some other voices, and, and they said, I always picked you for a guy that would be maybe doing ministry or doing something like that. So I switched majors at that point to Christian education. And uh, by about uh, that next summer, I was in Sierra Leone for six weeks with a sprint team, they called them, and, and uh, working in youth ministry and in, uh, you know, Freetown, Sierra Leone, and just really found that, wow, I really love interacting with people about Jesus and helping them grow. And, but I think the, the best thing that happened uh, in there is that I met uh, my wife. Uh, yeah, as okay. a freshman, we, we, were, we were there as freshmen together in, in 1992. And so Heather and I um, started out just a great relationship founded on Jesus and, and growing together and, and just all that the university provides and, and, you know, thinking out loud together and theology and working in ministry together with Campus Crusade for Christ and working at a local, you know, soup kitchen type thing uh-huh. downtown Seattle and, and really getting a feel for, for how our lives might be together. In the wow, future. wow. So, and her name's Heather. Yeah. So did she yeah. grow up around here? Yeah, she was. Uh, she was actually in, in. Had grown up in Issaquah at the time. So okay. I think we're kind of doing the circle back around. Yeah, to, I guess so. Yeah. I guess so. So, uh, you're getting to be in your senior year. Had you asked her to marry you yet? Well, this was. Uh, I, we we had we had one year together at the university. Then I ran out of money. Okay. And I had to go back home for about a year, and then ended up at a different college in the Edmond in Edmonds Puget Sound Christian College, mm-hmm. and so that's where I studied youth ministry and the Bible. And, uh, but we were continually dating there and, and she was not going to get married until she graduated. So she actually graduated from Seattle Pacific University as a nurse and, and we got married that summer. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, after, after, uh, Bible college and you graduate, then you decide to go into youth ministry. Yeah. So I started out as a, as an intern and then kind of apprentice and assistant roles in, in student ministry before I ended up being hired down in Kent. And, and that's where I worked for, uh, for 17 years. 17 years, years youth yeah, pastor. And youth pastor and, and associate work. And in the meantime, my wife and I were deciding, well, I think it's time to get serious about starting a family. And, mm-hmm. and we kind of had some career paths set and some tra- you know, the training done. And so we we immediately uh, started finding out that we struggled with infertility. We mm. just, we, and, and that was just a blow because, you know, that's just not the way it's supposed to happen. Yeah. You get your, I mean, in our mindset, if we had the, the, some of the education out of the way and then the career path started, then now's a good time. We're a little more stable. We can start. And it just wasn't starting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I'm sure years of some frustration and just hope and yeah. and, and all of that. Yeah, that, yeah. I mean, ask anybody that struggled with it. It's pretty much the same story. Just a lot of disappointment, and difficulty, and and okay, God, what are you doing? And it was interesting. My wife had, I think, always grown up with a idea that yeah, at some point she would adopt. And for mm-hmm. me, I I it just. I had plenty of examples, but I wasn't maybe that thoughtful about them. I mean, I'd, I'd seen adoption and um, friends of the family and some different things, but it just didn't, hadn't crossed my mind. But um, God started to work on us in some pretty uh, pretty amazing ways in that transformative way that where you start to surprise yourself by the thoughts you're thinking. Mm-hmm. You know, so he had uh, placed on our hearts this, this idea of adoption, and we started to pursue it, and, and we ended up um, adopting a an infant boy from Guatemala 
and we started with international adoption. And then, um, then what well, year? What year was that? You uh, that was two thousand. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. And so. And how old was he? So or? he was eight months old when he came home in two thousand one. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So we just started with a little guy, and and uh, what was interesting is, as my my wife would tell you the story, but I'll I'll tell it for you. But uh, she she ended up having a surgery for endometriosis, and the doctor said. This is your time. If you want to get pregnant, this is your time. That's probably what was causing the infertility, and, and this would be your time. And God had moved in our hearts in such a way that we, we, we looked at each other like, well, but we were going to adopt again. And, and we already kind of had this mindset, and we don't know how many kids we're going to be able to have. I mean, yeah. maybe two. I mean, I'm a youth pastor, and, and she's working part-time now as a nurse, and I, we just don't see finances being there to raise much more than that. So if we had a baby, that would push... A, an adopted baby out of the nest, you know, as uh-huh. it were, we were thinking, right. just our simple mindset. And, and, uh, so we decided, no, we don't want to get pregnant. We got to go forward with this next adoption. So we adopted another boy from Guatemala, an infant boy. Cause we, we had thought, well, it'd be good for him to have another Guatemalan brother. And, right. and, uh, well, it certainly has been, but, uh, that was just our thought process. So to see God change our hearts from this ache and this longing and this desire and, and, the, you know, the real natural sense of, you know, I want a child to spring from my loins. Right. Or, you know, just this real, you know, <laughs> uh-huh. kind of machismo kind of style. Right. It was amazing to, to see him transform our, our hearts. And, and our friends were puzzled. Our family was puzzled by it. And we're like, well, no, this is, we're kind of an adoptive family. That's kind of who we are. We didn't know it would get out as, as out of control as, as it had. <laughs> it's kind of like <laughs> tattoos, right? Once you get one, you want to get more, I, I think, is what happens. Yeah. But uh, so you have two boys, and, and what happens next? Yeah, life's going well. We're raising um, two rascally children, and, and it's going well. And a, a friend at our, at our church had come up and said, you know what you two need? You need a girl. And I said the fateful words, well, if God wants us to have a girl, he knows where we live. And it wasn't too much longer, maybe that week, we got a phone call from the, uh, from the hospital. Heather's um, friend and, and partner had called and said, hey, I just want to leave, you, leave a little message about this girl. Um, it's not about work. Don't worry about it. It's just, uh, just catch up with me later. And my wife's been stewing over this all day, you know, is when I get home and she's like, what do you think this means? What do you think it means? And I was like, that sounds like that's our little girl. I don't know. Let's find out. So she calls back and there's this girl that needs a home. And she was here from Nicaragua and doing a bunch of medical stuff, medical, you know, surgeries and and so many. And she was going to need to stay closer to medical care instead of going back down to the orphanage in, in Nicaragua that she'd been hosted here by a group. But, um, but she was going to have to return. Mm-hmm. And so God just kind of led us into that process, not knowing if adoption could actually happen, but we became kind of the, not really a legal, but foster care for this, this group that was supporting her while she was up here. And then uh, God worked it out and we were able to adopt her. And so then we had a four-year-old girl that entered our home at that point. Wow. So, so was as far as age groups then, was she older than the two boys? or was Yeah, she... she was then now the oldest by one month. Uh-huh. So we supplanted our, so, our son. So what's that like for a child? And maybe they were too young to really recognize, but what is that like for them to see another sister come into the house 
and and have the parents' attention and all that. Uh, you it know. was interesting. The, the because she was smaller than um, my oldest boy, she she didn't seem like the oldest in in that sense. So that that smoothed that okay. But we are definitely a study in in birth order. If you ever uh, want to yeah. just come and send somebody our way yeah. and have have that conversation, that'd be a fun one. Yeah. But um, but you know there was a simplicity to what we were doing as a family that my oldest son could articulate. We, we said, what would, what would it take to have a, you know, if there was this girl that needed to have a home and needed a family, what would it take for us to provide a home for them? And uh, my oldest son said, well, we probably need another toothbrush and some toothpaste. There you go. I'm like, yeah, that's about right. Yeah, we just open our home and uh, let him in. Yeah. So that, that was, that, you know, we're not blaming him for the, the complexity that then followed, but that's pretty simple. You know, you yeah. just, you just, yeah. What do you think kids? Yeah. Well, that makes sense. We should open our home. We should, we should, we should do this. Uh-huh. And so that, I think that, um, that has been the heart of our family, you know, even with those three kids and now we have six that that's kind of how we got into this situation. Well, tell me about that <laughs> progression because, you know, did you start getting some pushback from from adults around you that said, "Hey, you you probably need to stop." <laughs> yeah, they they had uh, you know they had the talk with us. You uh-huh. know how babies happen like this, right? You know how this happens. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, after a night of passionate paperwork, yeah, you know, kids <laughs> just show up, you know, into your home and right. so right. so yeah, we get it, we understand how it's happening. But yeah, it brought up some interesting conversations. With three, it wasn't that big of big of a stretch, but. Then we heard about two girls in foster care that were about to bounce from a home, and they were half Mexican, and so we were a Latina family practically, you know. Right. So we were right there. So they could, what if could they come into our, you know, home? And so, so that was when it started to get a little bit strange. And then we got the word that they were going to have a baby brother that might be taken into care. So that would go from a sibling duo to a sibling trio. And uh, and so that's when the conversations happened. Like people are like, "Do you really understand? Yeah, what's going on? Do you <laughs> do you know what's happening here?" And uh, yeah, so we had some some good chats with, with yeah. people as we figured that out. So, what was the Lord doing in your heart to, for you to say yes? I don't know. He'd already done the work. I think we were, we just we just um, said, "Yeah, sounds about right." I remember there's a staff meeting I was in, and my wife had called beforehand and said, you should talk to the staff that, uh, you know, that we're thinking about doing foster care. Okay. Yeah, sure. I'll just pray, get some prayer support and all that. And then at a break during the staff meeting, I get a phone call and she says, how do the names Elizabeth and Angelica sound? I was like, whoa, that, that sounds great. That sounds like our daughters. You know? <laughs> so, so it was a little too quick in that sense. Yeah. I mean, not, not too quick, but, but really like the work had already been done. Uh-huh. This is who we are. This is, this is, what we are. And some of that, you know, it comes down to in a, in a couple, you start to have prior, you know, prioritization conversations where you say, what are we really about? Uh-huh. You know, and part of it is, is, uh, you know, there's so many great ministries out there. There's so many wonderful things. One time we were on a drive. It was just before we, we took in these girls. We were on a drive up to see family in Bellingham area and we were sorting through our gift requests, you know, Campus Crusade and World Vision and just, you know, just the, the glut. You, know, you just get yeah, so I, many of them. And so we just said, well, what are we about? What do we really want to, how do we want to make our mark? What do we want to do with our money and, and, and our life? And, and we just kind of looked at each other with a couple of the options we had and we're like, we're pretty much an adoptive family. That's kind of what we do. And, uh-huh. it, and we developed that identity and then it made a lot more sense. This is what we're going to do. This is what we're about. And then it was just weeks later, we got this phone call 
that said, uh, hey, um, I work at the, um, um, a friend of ours said, I work at the at DSHS and, and my supervisor saw your Christmas card on our, on our kiosk, on my kiosk or on my uh, cubicle wall and uh, wants to get you guys licensed for these two girls. And so we're like, well, I guess here we go. So yeah. we got licensed into the foster care system and then, and then, uh, we took in our, our littlest and then our, our oldest, a new oldest daughter. And so we took in a seven-year-old, a, a year and a half, uh, and a five-week-old boy at that time. So, wow. So that, wow. that was, those were the lost years. We don't really remember much about that. <laughs> I it was guess. difficult. Yeah. So from zero to six happened in what span of time? Well, it happened in seven years. Zero to six in seven years. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, our kids are now 11 to 18 years old. When I hear you tell the story, the first thing that comes to my mind is you have a wonderful wife. Oh, yeah. I mean, you can't do this individually. It has There has to be agreement that takes place, doesn't there? I mean, there's no way you can have some serious doubts and not— and and execute this where you you have adopted yeah. kids. Yeah, I mean I know some single people who are are doing what they can and they're making a mark but but I certainly couldn't imagine it. No, I mean it, it takes it takes the church certainly. I mean it's not just even my wife and I. We have man, God's just bringing people to mind that's making me cry. We have so many people that he has blessed us with that that are on our team, you know, that, that we found out later that they had had personal conversations with God saying, whatever the Bowers need, I'm there for them. And we didn't know this till years later, but it was apparent, you know, that they had, they said, no, we're going to, we're going to back this move. Wow. We're in this and wow. our families as well. But, but wow. certainly the church that was more local was, was all in yeah. with us. Well, I want to clarify. I mean, certainly single people can adopt, yeah. but, with, but when you're a couple, you both need to be oh, yeah. in on the deal yeah, yeah. as a couple, yeah, right? Yeah, it's got to be a calling. It's, it's, uh, yeah. it's, it's not something you enter into lightly or, or just um, like a hobby or something. This is, this is serious business. Yeah, yeah. Well, tell me, uh, uh, you sent me a, a link to a video that I saw from the Today Show. Tell me about that. What happened? You, you were on the Today Show a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah. I got to, for a Father's Day special that they were doing, they... They uh, tricked me into thinking I was going out to talk about international adoption and share the story with the world. And since that's what we're all about, I'm like, okay, sounds good. Let's do it. Um, not actually even very nervous, which was kind of unique. Um, but yeah, they tricked me. And it was really just to surprise me that, that uh, my daughter, with a, with a youth worker's help, had entered me into a contest that it was about deserving dads, you know, whatever that means. And and uh, so, so yeah, I was on there talking with the the hosts, and and uh, then the family comes out and surprises me all the way back in New York City. And, yeah, and, and they, sent us on a cruise, and yeah, you know, best time of our life. It was so great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, for all this from a letter that your daughter had written about you being a great dad. That's right. Yeah, yeah, pretty fun. So, there may be some people who are listening today that uh, have considered adoption, uh, maybe. You know, they're not sure—I'm not sure where they might be on their path. Maybe they're right. farther along. But what kinds of principles or suggestions would you give to them as they're praying about this? What what do, what do are some of the things that you would encourage them to, to look for or to, to pray about? Yeah, well, I think—you uh, know, I think that 
that we can look at the, the passage in James that talks about pure and faultless religion. It says, you know, care for widows and orphans in their distress. Um, and I even heard it from an adoption guy. He's like, that's, that's, that's the principle there. It's not just widows and orphans. It's giving without really expectation of anything in return, right? I mean, it's caring for people that you're not getting anything out of this, really. I mean, I, I've got a family, and I'm pleased with that. But, it, but I mean, the, the interactions aren't just to make you feel good inside, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's because you, there's, a, there's a real service there. So, so the church is called to this, this type of ministry of selfless, and I'm not calling myself that, but but that that where you're giving what God gives you and you're pouring that out, and and so so I would say that without a doubt the church is called to bring these children into the homes. Now I don't know about you listening whether it's is your calling you've got to do this, but the church needs to, mm-hmm. and so you might be a part of that church that comes around a couple, comes around a family that's growing and developing these ways, and you pour on the support and you be the transportation or the the encouragement or bring it over the meals. There's, it takes a church to do this. So so I wouldn't ever suggest anybody go it alone. I, I think this is a, this is the church's responsibility. And there's ten thousand kids in Washington that are in foster care. Over two thousand of them are ready to be adopted. Mm. You think the church could take care of that? How many churches do we have in Washington? How about just one per church? Yeah. And you can be a part of that. You can be part of that movement, making making sure that we understand the needs there. Because who who did we want to raise them? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. yeah, the church. Well, I've I've sat through you know discussions about this and and seen you know. Uh, maybe you're you're in a financial situation or a personal life situation where you're not able to adopt or be a foster parent, but there is, as you just mentioned, that that support opportunity isn't there. Uh, you know, I, I was I was reading about uh, or in a meeting where they were talking about being able to just volunteer at some of the foster care centers where oh, yeah. a kid might be there for a period of time waiting to be placed and they just need someone to be there with that child while they're waiting for placement because yeah. it may take a while. Yeah, there's there's a lot of different resources to get connected with that, with these um, Foster Care Alliance and, and Union Gospel Mission is making a lot of of help uh, and making those connections happen. Yeah, they have groups that are just blessing the DSHS office, the Department of Social Health Services. They're coming in there and being the, the moms in the lobby and connecting with these kids and, and creating creating environments and safe places. Those kids are really torn up, I'll tell you. <laughs> I've got some. Yeah. They're really torn up, and life has really hurt them. I mean, it's been very difficult. So to have some stability, have some smiles, have people to care for them, that's a that's a sweet thing. Yeah. There's a lot of ways the church can get involved. And not to get uh, too personal, but what are some of the issues that adoptive kids deal with? Is it uh, uh, just uh, what what are some of those issues that you've had to deal with as a family? Is there anything that you can share? Well, yeah. I mean, think about the loss, just primarily the loss of, of your family of origin. Mm-hmm. So what's wrong with me? that they didn't want to raise me. Mm-hmm. What did they, and, and there's, the answer is like, are you kidding me? How could they have known anything about you? You were just a little kid or, you know, so, but, but in your mind as a kid, the world revolves around you. I mean, it, it just, so what is going on? What, what's wrong with me that they aren't able to take care of me? Or what's so broken about that family system? And, and am I, is that my destiny? Am I just supposed to, am I going to end up like that? Or do my, 
genetics or you know the what's happened to me does that mean i'm going to be this way in the future and mm-hmm. so there's a bunch of confusion with the gospel just needs to be layered in layer after layer of, of what the truth is in their identity in christ yeah well there's a program that's been on tv the last few seasons called long lost family i don't know if you've seen that program or not no. but it's about a, a people who have been adopted who are searching for their family mm-hmm. and I tell you what, I cry every episode of that <laughs> sure thing because <laughs> you're seeing people who are asking uh, those very questions, yeah. and they go in and find those family members that have been missing for 30, 40 years, some of them, and to see that reunion is just an incredible thing. Yeah. But uh, Aaron, I want to thank you uh, today for, uh, for, for joining me on Heart of the City and it's for sharing your story. Uh, we've been speaking with uh, Pastor Aaron Bauer. He's the lead pastor at Issaquah Christian Church in Issaquah. If you want to connect with Aaron, you can go to the website, ICCweb, that's I-C-C-W-E-B dot O-R-G, and uh, you can send him an email through the website. So, Aaron, thanks for joining me today. Yeah, thank you, Chuck. God bless. You've been listening to this KGNW special, Heart of the City. For more information about how your pastor or ministry can be featured on 820 AM The Word, call Chuck Olmsted at 206-269-6216 or go to 820amtheword.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.